beautiful church. You are a phenomenal church, and I'm so happy to be back, and I'm so proud to be your pastor. But we, and I say we, are not disciple makers. We work at being disciples, some of us, but how many of us, as a goal in life, because that's the Great Commission, are making disciples? And as I looked at this and I got back into the statistics, there were a couple of days when I was just seriously weeping. It's like, oh, I failed. I'm like, well, you know, I've done what I could do at that point in time and what God would have me do. And then he said, yeah, I'm married, but now it's time to raise the bar. And I said to God, I don't want to. I want you to like me. I, want, I don't want you mad at me. It's, like, it's so difficult to be strong enough say, you know what? We need to do this better. And we do it well. Please hear me. This is not a guilt sermon. It really is not meant to be. I pray that when you leave, you'll be inspired. And you'll be determined to do one step closer to what God has each of us to do. And this isn't just about the church. This is about life as disciple makers. And this is even the highest bar. Those disciples that we're to make, are to become disciple-makers. Think about that one. We are to make the kind of disciples who make disciples. That's how the kingdom does for Jesus. And so that's what happens in the family of God. Because I had time to listen, and that was a very, very good thing. So our scripture reading today comes from the book of Philippians, chapter 2, and it's a, it's a very special passage, one of my very favorite passages, because it talks about Jesus and what he did for us. And actually, the passage was a hymn that was then incorporated by Paul into the letter to the Philippians, and I always wonder what it sounded like as a hymn. But it is a passage where we're going to look over the next few weeks in Lent at the idea of sacrifice. Do you know what Lent is? Many people don't really know. It's not part of our tradition as covenanters. It wasn't part of the tradition of the Presbyterian Church either. It's a Catholic tradition. And we've embraced it because it's a, it's a wonderful way to really appreciate what Jesus did for us. The season of Lent is from Ash Wednesday until right before Easter Sunday. And typically it ends, for the most part, on Good Friday. And I know that the choir is doing a tenebrae service, which is a service of shadows, where you are truly in the darkness of Good Friday. And it's a time to really look at the suffering of Jesus Christ. And we don't do that we look at the resurrection, which is phenomenal. But it's a time of looking at suffering and it's a time of looking at sacrifice. And so the theme of Lent is we see sacrifice. And each week, we're going to talk about what we can do. How many of you give up something for Lent? I'm not going to ask you what it is. But there, this is something that we do. I, I have had friends that give up chocolate. I've had friends that give up, you know, wine or give up 
desserts. Oh, this is the best. My oldest son, this is the way he handled Lent. True story. When he was in college, he lived at a Christian um, uh, fraternity house. Okay? So the whole house of guys decided they would do something for Lent. Robert's decision was to give up dessert. And this was the place where they cooked dinner every night, and so there was dessert every night, and apparently they were very good desserts. And so Robert lets me know he's giving up dessert. And I'm thinking, wow, good boy. You know, good for you. This is great. I know this is hard for you. And I was really impressed until Easter came. And I found out that he had put in the freezer (laughs) his dessert for every single day of Lent. And I think that's a good illustration of how we do sacrifice. (laughs) We don't want it to hurt. We want to look good. But we don't want it to hurt. And we said, well, Mom, it didn't taste very good after it had been frozen. It's like, oh, brother. (laughs) I had to be impressed. Did you have something to say, Connie? at cheese free cans this is good <laughs> that's awesome did you hear what she said we're supposed to give up our very very favorite things <laughs> i'm not going there <laughs> i'm so not going there i want you to consider something for this lent the idea of giving up something good to achieve something good give up something good achieve something great. How many of you donate to the youth auction? I do. I do. And let me tell you what I do. And, and this true story. And I thought I was doing a pretty good job until I was in Hawaii. Um, every Christmas, I receive gifts from people that, and I'm not talking white elephant type gifts. I'm talking nice gifts, but that I'll never use. I, I'll never use them. I mean, for instance, one year somebody gave me one of those paraffin hand treatment things. There are people who would love to have one of those. Just not me. I don't, I don't have time for that. And so, never been opened. So, Christmas comes, and if there are gifts like that, I set them aside for the youth auction. And it works, you know. Money is made for the church. It's a good thing to do. Except, what kind of sacrifice is that? And this is what Connie is talking about. I, what if we committed as a church, because this is the type of regret, this is the type of sin that I can seem to believe. What if we gave up something that really mattered? What if there's something we'd really like to buy for ourselves, but instead we bought something to donate to the youth auction? That's that sacrificial giving. Giving up something good achieve something great. And you're going to hear that phrase many times in the next few weeks because it's a challenge. And every week, I'm going to ask you to do something very specific. You won't know until the very end of the closing challenge what that is, and you'll be guessing. You'll be going, she's going to ask me to do this next week. Yeah, we'll see if you guess it. So, our passage, Book of Philippians, chapter 2, verses 6 to 7. If you please stand in honor of God's word.
And I'll start with verse 5. It doesn't need to be up there just to begin the sentence. Your attitude should be the same as that of Christ Jesus, who being in very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be grasped, but made himself nothing, taking the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness. So I want the reading of God's word and you may be seated. So welcome to a theological nightmare. Jesus Christ was fully God. Would you agree? Was there a time that he was ever not fully God? No. Never. That's impossible. Jesus Christ, in this passage, it shares, became fully human. Fully human, fully God, same time. How does that work? I spent thousands of dollars to take theology so I would know. So let me share with you what that got me. This is what the professor said. You do not understand these things. It's a mystery. (laughs) That cost me thousands of dollars. It's so hard to comprehend. And yet it is the magnificent mystery of God. The magnificence of something that can happen because with God all things are possible. And I try to come up with a way that maybe we can understand what it's like for God, for Jesus, to give up divinity while remaining God, but to give up divinity because that's the sacrifice we're talking about today. He sacrificed divinity. And by that I mean the position, not who he was, but the position he had as he was in the heavenlies. And I thought about this clip I wanted to use, and I couldn't find it. It's too old a movie. I'm going to probably be in better shape in this service for people having actually seen the movie, though it doesn't ultimately matter. There was a movie made, I don't know how many years ago, that was a sequel to Superman. And it was Superman 2. Anybody see it? Oh, that's more to the first verse. (laughs) Okay. Um, Superman 2 was basically the love story between Lois and and Clark Kent, i.e. Superman. And there's a scene in that movie where they have gone together, they've flown together to the fortress, you know, whispers and all these things. And he decides he loves her so much, he wants to be with her, fully with her. And so he goes, and there's this way that he can talk to his family, his mom and dad, through this holographic thing. And so he asked his mom about this, and how can this work? And she said, the only way it'll work is if you become one of them, if you become human and give up your powers. And she said, we hoped you would never ask this question. And he said, well, I love her. And so he steps into a chamber, and it shows him going through all sorts of pain as this happens. And he steps out. He steps in with the tights on. He steps out in a suit. And and he was Clark Kent, and he was fully human. And Lois is watching this, and she's like, is this real? I think about Jesus. 
and I think about what it was like to be there in, in the heavenlies. And these are, this is a kind of an idea for us from the book of Revelation. These are the names that Jesus describes himself. This is the resurrected Christ. Chapter 1, I am the Alpha and Omega, says the Lord God, who is and who was and who is to come, the Almighty. I am him who holds the seven stars in his right hand and walks among the seven golden lampstands. I am him who is the first and the last, who died and came to life again. I am him who has the sharp double-edged sword. I am the Son of God whose eyes are like blazing fire and whose feet are like burnished bronze. I am him who holds the seven spirits of God and the seven stars, him who is holy and true, who holds the key of David. What he opens, no one can shut, and what he shuts, no one can open. I am the amen, the faithful and true witness, the ruler of God's creation. That's the position he gave us to become human. And it's interesting, in the Philippian passage, the word that is translated here is grasped. He did not consider equality with God as something to be grasped. And when I was, you know, years ago when I was looking at this passage, I thought, well, why wouldn't Jesus understand? That's what I thought grasp meant. You know, I don't grasp that concept. Oh, no, I looked in the Greek as I became more and more into it, and the Greek doesn't mean grasp as an understood, it means held on to. He didn't consider equality with God as something to cling to, to hold on to. It was something to be released so that he could become human. And when it talks about becoming a man, taking on the form of a servant, that word is the word for slave. Much lower than a servant, the lowest class. gave up being king of kings and lord of lords so that he could be a slave. He could do nothing in the world's eyes. Nothing. To be born in a manger among the filth of the animals. To have to flee for his life with his parents because Herod is hunting him down. He, he lived in Nazareth. Nazareth, not a strategic and socially acceptable town. It says in Scripture, nothing good comes out of Nazareth. So it had a reputation. This is where Jesus came. He gave up. He sacrificed his divinity. And I think we think of him, I know we do, I do, as this gentle, beautiful man. And yet, that's not what Scripture says. You realize that? Book of Isaiah, this is what he gave divinity up to become. Book of Isaiah, chapter 53. He grew up before him like a tender shoot and like a root out of dry ground. He had no beauty or majesty to attract us to him. Nothing in his appearance that we should desire him. He was despised and rejected by men. A man of sorrows and familiar with suffering. Like one from whom men hide their faces, he was despised, and we esteemed him not. And I think for a moment of people that you hide your faces, you don't want to look at them. Homeless people, disfigured people, this is 
Jesus. He was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. The punishment that brought us peace was upon him. And by his wounds, we are healed. It was the Lord's will to crush him and cause him to suffer. And though, and through, no, and through that, the Lord makes his life a guilt offering. He was so terrific. His body still was so ugly. He couldn't take a hit with him. That's not the way a hit hurts. It's not the way the artists do. That's how much he gave us. This is where the book started to hurt my heart. This is when it started to be tough for me. Because some of these statistics, I had conveniently forgotten. Because I didn't want to deal with it. Statistically, 90% of congregants that come to church on Sunday are consumers. You are here to consume the worship service, to be served to be entertained, to feel better about life. That's consumerism. And if we don't do it well, you'll go somewhere else to be able to consume. And this is a growing problem. This is an American church problem. And this is a wonderful church. I think we beat those odds, but I don't know. I don't know. When you come to church on Sunday, what is, why are you here? Are you here to socialize? That's a good thing. Are you here to feel good? That's a good thing. But most of all, we're to be here to be transformed. We're to be here for one another. That's what being in church is. 80% of the congregants let the 20% work for them. True? The 80-20 rule? 20% of the congregations give the tithes and offerings to cover the ministry expenses of the church. 20%, 80% are not giving at a level that God would have them. That's a fact. How many of us are truly disciples? Scripture says, He who loves me obeys my commands. And I don't think any of us feel very good about that. I know that's a tough thing to say. But the things that are symptomatic of a congregation that needs to grow in discipleship, number one symptom, lack of volunteers. Lack of volunteers. And I will tell you that most of the time, when we have something that needs to be done, we have trouble. We have trouble. And it's usually the same people, those 20%. That'll say yes. Eighty percent will say, "Yeah, I don't come. I'm not interested." Second symptom: the giving. The giving. A discipled church has hearts that compel them to give. It's not guilt. I can stand here and I can preach a money sermon and I can I can preach a volunteer sermon. I can preach all that. It has nothing to do with it. Do. It doesn't. You'll leave and you'll go, yeah, that was a nice sermon. I hope she didn't do that one again. But instead, 
it's about the heart. And it's about being discipled. And I've come to believe in the last few weeks that the thing that we are missing the most is accountability. Accountability. If I were to tell you right now, and I won't, don't freak out, not yet. <laughs> A few weeks from now, maybe. I don't know. Well, I'm, I'm praying about this. Who knows? If I were to say to you, I want you to choose somebody in this sanctuary right now, who's, to whom you're not married or related, who's not your best friend or close friend, but someone whom you trust and respect, to go and confess your sins, not one of you, well, maybe one, would leave. Because you've got to be kidding me. You've got to be kidding me. I can't do that. I can't do that. And I would tell you, I too. And it's very interesting over the last couple of years when I have needed to share with you personal things that I'm struggling with. And it's so hard because that's not who I've ever been. I've always been very private. And I have been blessed beyond belief. And I think many of you have felt blessed to know and to be able to pray for me. And it has been the most incredible growth experience for me and I think for this congregation. And yet, when it comes to each one of us, and me too, it's pretty hard to go, you know what? I'm struggling with whatever it is. Will you pray for me? And will you keep me accountable? Will you? And I think that that's what we need to do. I think we need to develop a system amongst ourselves. Very small. I'm not talking about big old small groups. I'm not talking about standing up. And, and you can do that if you want the worship service if God compels you to. That's, that's what I'm talking about. But there are people that really are there to support you. And that you are there to support. See, being a consumer means you let everybody do it for you. Right? You know, that's what we do as consumers. We go and we get the goods. And what are we giving? Are we praying for the person next to us in that little prayer time? Or are we praying only for ourselves? These are tough words, and I know. And that's why I said to you, you might not be clapping every now and then. But this is what I know to be true. If we truly do what it takes, whatever steps, small ones, to become disciples, we will not be able to stop ourselves from making disciples. We won't. Because God's Spirit does that within us. And we will make those disciples, and we will help them to make disciples. It's time. It's time for Christ. That's the vision that I wrestled with. And I'll tell you some practical things. When I was in Hawaii, God basically said, "This okay, Mary, this is how you're going to order your days. Because let me tell you that beach was calling and calling, and calling, and all I wanted to do was go wade in the surf because I love it so much. And it's like, no, let's work out a plan, you and I. And so we did. And my discipline of the day was to start my day with more time with God than I have spent in a very long time. I confess to you, I've not been spending enough time. I've been overcome by stress and time constraints, and yeah, it's not good. It's not good. So, there was a block of time. First thing in the morning, I'm going to spend time with God. And I spent that time by choosing a way to read through scripture that I wanted to do. 
But a lot of the time I just spent listening. Just listening. I prayed for you all. I got prayer lists. I knew what was going on, and I prayed for you. But there was a time spent just listening. Then I took care of my body. I exercised. I watched what I ate, especially the unhealthy things as I ate them. I, um, no, I really worked hard. I really worked hard because I wanted to come back and be healthier. So that was, that was the first part of my day. Then the middle part, the chunk, you know, the longer chunk, that's when I worked on my papers. And I had a schedule. This is what I'm going to accomplish each day. And when I accomplished it, I was done. I was not going to allow myself to work ahead. I was just going to co- accomplish that. And the last part of the day was the Sabbath part. And then I would go lay on the beach and just walk in nature. And I would just appreciate God's creation and the rest that he had given me. That was the rhythm of my life when I was in Hawaii. And my challenge, and you can hold me accountable, is to create a rhythm here. Can't be like that. But a rhythm here that always puts God first. Always puts that time first. That I spend that time. Hold me accountable. Ask me. So, Pastor, how goes your walk? That's the covenant question. How goes your walk? How much time did you spend with God this week? Details. How much time did you spend? And <laughs> it'll be effective. I can tell you it'll be effective. That's discipleship. Sacrificing something good because I can do good things in my time. I can do lots of good things with my time. I can do good things with my money. I can do good things with so many things. But if I give them to God, He can do great things. He can do great things. Just has such a desire for us to be all that we're meant to be. I went to the Covenant Conference. They think we're phenomenal. They think they think we're phenomenal. It's like Lisa sends me a text. I, I've taught you this. It's fun. I was on a panel of pastors. I mean, that's a crazy thing. Ask me to be on a panel. I don't even know what it is to be covenant yet. And <laughs> I got to share with them about what happened with our production. And it was just, I mean, you were famous. Kaylin, you were famous. I didn't mention your name, but I did mention you. And I talked about what happened here. And so Lisa sends me this text, and she says, I hear you rock the panels. And I'm going, what I do? <laughs> I don't remember rocking the panel. <laughs> but that's the Spirit of God. And they think, and they're right, this is very special. Because I have some precious time. Oh my goodness, do we have potential that we're not using? We are capable of rocking this community. We are capable of rocking our workplaces. Simply by living a disciple-making style. Now, I told you my dissertation was to create a training manual for all of you. You'll have to decide whether you actually want to go through this. But it's a high level, high bar study. And it's just the beginning. Because this is life, this is a life philosophy. This isn't a small group study. It stops at a small group study. Are you ready to be a disciple of Jesus? Are you ready? Do you want it? Don't you want to give your marriage to Christmas? Because that's what you want to. Seriously, it's, it's like the verse that says, 
I believe, help my unbelief. I love that verse. I want it, help me want it more. That's my prayer for many unbelievers. Giving up something good. Giving up our divinity. We think we're God. At least we live that way. We serve ourselves. We all do it. Do you know it? We all do it. And our culture tells us to do it. We serve us. To give that up. To become the servant of Jesus. To achieve something else. say, if I say yes. Pray. Because I believe it. I believe it. Lord, I want this prayer. Would you pray with me, please? Lord God, thank you. Thank you for what you were willing to sacrifice for us. And as we go through Lent, and we learn more and more become more and more grateful and more filled with your spirit that we can give up something good and you can do something great through us. Thank you, God. In Jesus' name, all God's people say, Amen.